0: We've been following the Apostle Paul throughout his uh, life and his missionary journeys. Most recently we've seen him uh, imprisoned and sent to Rome where he was awaiting an appearance before Caesar. And during the two-year period of his first imprisonment in the city of Rome, Paul was able to write several letters that we still have back to some of the churches in Greece and Asia Minor. And today we are going to examine two uh, shorter letters that he wrote, the letter to the Colossians and the letter to Philemon. These are part of a group of four letters that are typically called the prison epistles, uh, which are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Now, the city of Colossae was in Asia Minor. It was inland, uh, whereas Ephesus was on the coast of the Aegean Sea. Uh, Colossae was further inland in the Lycus Valley as part of really a a three-city area Uh, in conjunction with the cities of Laodicea and Heropolis. Uh, Philemon was a letter that was closely connected to the church at Colossae because Philemon, who we will see was the master of Onesimus, was dwelling in the city of Colossae and received the letter of Philemon from Paul, carried by uh, Tychicus, who was Uh, probably carrying the letter to the church at Colossae at the same time that he delivered this more personal letter to Philemon. And so we will look at these letters together with one another. We're going to begin with Colossians and proceed to uh, Philemon. Let's pray as we begin our session today. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study the life of Paul, his writings, and his uh, theology. We thank you for his letter to the Colossian church and to Philemon, and pray that our hearts would be encouraged by what we hear today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Colossians chapter one begins very similarly to the letter to the Ephesians, and we shouldn't be surprised by that because really they were uh, written very close together in time. In fact, the letters are linked in many ways, although their emphasis is distinctive. If Ephesians is about the church and God's master plan accomplished in Christ, Colossians is about Christ as supreme over his creation, including and ultimately culminating in the church. So they're kind of like two sides of of the same coin with slightly different emphases. Chapter 1 of Colossians sees Paul once again introducing himself, then telling the Colossian church what he thanked God for about them and what he was praying for them. He thanked God for their faith and for the fruit that they were bearing and prayed for them that they would be able to know the will of God to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is very similar to what we saw in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, that they would be pleasing to God and bear much fruit, resulting in uh, their own joy. Now, verses 15 through 23 of Colossians chapter 1 talks about the greatness of Jesus Christ, the firstborn of all creation, Paul says, an emphasis not on his having been created, which he was not, but on his position as the foremost or the head of creation, and he his position as the head of the church. Jesus has reconciled those who were once alienated and hostile in mind, in verse 21, to present them blameless before him if they would continue in the faith, verses 22 and 23. This shows us that true believers in Jesus will continue to live their lives in a way that demonstrates their faith. They're going to ultimately walk in obedience to Uh, The Lord Jesus. There may be moments or times of sin and backsliding, but the general uh, trajectory of the lives of believers will be one characterized by obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 24 through 29, Paul talks about his own ministry to the church, particularly to Gentiles, revealing the mystery hidden for ages but now revealed to the saints in verse 26. Again, this is very similar to Ephesians chapter 3. In the second chapter of Colossians, the greatness of Christ is shown in that he is God's mystery, verse 2. He contains all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in verse 3. The Colossians should not be taken captive by philosophies and empty deceit, but should focus on Christ In whom dwells all the fullness of God bodily, verses 8 and 9. Jesus accomplished our salvation through his sacrifice on the cross, even triumphing over the evil angelic world through the cross, we're told in verses 14 and 15. Now, Paul warns the Colossian church not to get caught up in rituals and ceremonies, probably looking at uh, Old Testament rules and regulations, but instead to hold fast to the head. This is the head of the church, to Christ, in verse 19. There were many who were advocating a return to the adherence to Jewish laws. But Paul says that we died to the elemental spirits of the world, so why submit to the world's regulations any longer? These are of no help in stopping the temptation to indulge in the flesh, he says in verse 23. Even today, some Christians get caught up in Old Testament sacrifices and festivals and and rituals and wanting to participate in those But Paul says they are ultimately not helpful for the spiritual life of the Christian. They can do nothing to make us more like Christ. Colossians chapter 3 encourages believers to set their minds on things above and not on the things of the earth because we died with Christ and our lives are now hidden with him in chapter 3 verse 3. We should, therefore, put to death our old way of life, uh, which are of no help to our growth in faith. We should then put on or clothe ourselves with Christ likeness in verses twelve through seventeen, doing all things for the glory of God. Again, this is very similar to what we read in Ephesians, where uh, Paul told believers at Ephesus that they were to put off certain practices, and put on other practices. In chapter 3, verses 18 through the beginning of chapter 4, Paul talks about how to act in the household of faith. Wives should submit to husbands, and husbands should love their wives. Children should obey their parents, and parents not provoke their children. Slaves should obey their masters, knowing they are ultimately working for the Lord, And masters should deal justly with their servants. This brings us into the fourth and final chapter of the letter to the Colossian church. Paul encourages believers at Colossae to pray and to be thankful in the early verses of this chapter. They should walk in wisdom and have their speech seasoned with salt in verses five and six in order to be effective in the sharing of the gospel. Of Christ. Ultimately, we want our words to advance the gospel of Jesus, not be a hindrance to it. In verses 7 through 18, Paul first presents Tychicus, who we talked about as the letter carrier, and Onesimus, someone we haven't previously heard about, who is, we find out a little bit later on in Philemon, the slave or former slave of Philemon. Uh, a key person in the church at Colossae. And they are traveling together, returning uh, Onesimus to his master, most likely, at this time. Paul gives many other greetings in verses 10 through 18 to close out the letter and asks them to remember his chains. I think that was a a significant way of, of Paul telling them to remember that the gospel is going to bring persecution. It's going to bring people who are opposed to it. Now I want to turn to the very short letter of uh, Philemon. This letter to Philemon was probably written at the same time as Colossians and carried with it to Colossae, to Philemon in particular, who was the master or former master of Onesimus. The letter is addressed specifically to him and probably his wife as well as to the church meeting in his house. Uh, Tychicus was the individual carrying this letter and as we saw in Colossians 4, uh, verses 7 through 9, Onesimus probably accompanied him at this time. Paul begins this letter... By giving thanks to God for Philemon for his love and faith in Jesus, verses 4 through 7, he says that he has derived much joy and comfort from the love of the Colossian church because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through Philemon and his household, in verse 7. Then, in verses 8 through 22, really the meat of this letter, Paul appeals to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus, whose father, Paul says, he has become while in prison. What does this mean? Well, Paul says Onesimus was formerly useless to Philemon, but now is indeed useful. And so he's sending him back, sending his very own heart, he says in verse 12, when he would have preferred to keep Onesimus with him for the sake of the gospel, verse 13. But he wanted to have Philemon's consent. It seems now that that when Onesimus had fled from Philemon, that perhaps he was not a believer in Christ, but through his encounter with Paul uh, in the city of Rome, somehow the two of them came into contact with one another, and uh, through his encounter with Paul, he became a believer in Christ. He had a spiritual transformation. And now, upon his return to Colossae, he would return to his master, Paul says, as more than simply a slave, but now as a beloved brother, in verse 16. Paul says Philemon should receive Onesimus back as he would receive Paul, and any wrongs that the former slave had done uh, should be held against Paul instead. He promised to repay anything that was needed in verse 19. Paul was confident that Philemon would receive his words well, and he encourages him to prepare a guest room for him, uh, for Paul, in confidence that he would soon be released from prison in verse 22. Paul ends this short letter with greetings from several individuals from Epaphras, whom he calls fellow prisoner in Christ, as well as from Mark, Aristarchus, a man named Demas, and from Luke, uh, the author of the book of Acts. He prays, as always, for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with their spirits. And so, in his short letter to Philemon, Paul is asking him to uh, welcome back this man, Onesimus, who was his slave formerly his property, and uh, many scholars actually think that Paul is suggesting to him that he should free Onesimus, give him his freedom, and welcome him back as a brother in Christ. Uh, whatever the situation, it's wonderful to see how the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just for one social group. It's for all people, regardless of class or age, or race, or gender, or any of those dividing factors. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit Emmaus.edu slash partners.